Hello, welcome to episode yada yada, or, <laughs> or as I call it, the This Week in Entertainment with uh, Hayden and Brian, aka Downstage, where we just talk about this week's uh, entertainment news and whatnot. So, it definitely was a uh, very slow week in terms of entertainment, but there were a couple of good stories that we do want to talk about in, in terms of uh, not only entertainment news, but also just entertainment industry in general, especially with, the, uh, well, one, before we get into our first story, Hayden, how was your week? It was all right. Nothing crazy, just, you know, same old, same old. Yeah, yeah, I uh, did two things. One, on Friday, I went, to, well, not Friday, on Thursday, my brother and I went to go see uh, Ghostbusters Afterlife, which was pretty good for the most part. Uh, they were uh mini-review, go see it. Uh, I will say that... uh yeah, go see it. Personally, there are a lot of things that probably don't add up because of, uh, as a screenwriter, well, not as a screenwriter, but as someone who has been in, been trying to make up, you know, who has been stuttering, stuttering, has been studying films and theater for the past half of the decade or something like that, more than a decade, I should say, um, there's a lot of things that you kind of notice that, uh, when you're watching, it's like, that kind of doesn't add up, but because of maybe timing and pacing issues, they kind of, like, you know, delete a different thing. But, yeah, overall, it was a very good movie. You should go see it. Uh, it definitely had the heart and charm of the first Ghostbusters, especially since they're pining for the nostalgic tones of the first movie. Uh, since they, that is essentially you know, the heart of the, well, one, there's a more than just a nostalgic charm, but also there is a heart in the movie, too. Uh, the cast was great, uh, especially Mechanic Race as Phoebe Spangler. I mean, aside from maybe casting Finn Wolfhard as her brother, who I feel like did an okay job, it's just that, you know, that that was like a, a role or character that they could easily have exercised from the movie, you know, alt-right and just like gathering correctly. Because, honestly, if it was just about her mother and, uh, you know, if it was just about Phoebe and her mother, it would probably be a very good movie. It would probably be a better movie. But, so, like, the brother really didn't add in that much anything aside from them wanting a uh, a Peter Venkman-like character to, you know, to bring the, the you know the whole notion of oh this is a Peter Venkman type of character. If she's England, then she's you know, and then he's easily uh, Venkman. And you kind of notice that, you know, throughout the film that there are, like, character beats and moments of that actually just blinks back to the first movie. But, again, it's still a very good movie to watch, you know. I had fun with it. I laughed. I cried. You know, it's it's one of those type of movies where you kind of, like, go, I understand where they're going with it, and I understand the, the type of um, emotions that they were doing in it. And, yeah, I, I do agree. It was a very good movie. And, again, not without its fault, but still. Uh, and, and also, Paul Rudd is in it, so if you need any motivation to go see it. Oh, sure, Paul Rudd is in it. <laughs> you can't, you know, if it's David Harbour, sure, but if it's Paul Rudd. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, it is Paul Rudd after all. I mean, the dude is literally immortal, and he is honestly good in everything he does as well, so I mean. Yeah, that, that, that's another thing. It's like, Paul, it's like if it was another character actor in the movies, like, say, uh, I don't know, like a Bradley Cooper or 
Like, because Garrett is supposed to be like this very empathetic science teacher who obviously knows what he's talking about and all that stuff. So if you if you cast someone like say Bradley Cooper or uh, or uh, not Paul Rudd, but like Aaron Eckhart or uh, mm. obviously someone who is like in that middle ground of being like in his forties but still not really reach fifty, so to speak, you know. Um, like that sort of age range, but then you know Paul Rudd comes up and it's like he's sort of like acting like the, the the hip science teacher you kind of know and love, but still is like very apathetic too. So that you know that kind of like brings a kind of like balance to everything. Yeah. So yeah, it definitely felt like Paul Rudd did add a lot of charm to the character, even if the character was kind of like very <laughs> character again. The character itself is like it kind of like harkens back to other characters of past uh, Ghostbusters mm-hmm. movies. So yeah, but yeah, uh, short review. Go see it if you can. Well, of course you can. Um, but seeing in the theaters, I enjoyed the hell out of it. It definitely was one of those type of movies where you made where you made you smile and also made you cry. So yeah. Uh, and then after that, I went to see Survivor Series on uh, on Sunday, so that was actually a, a fun uh, day out with my uh, my brother and my father. So yeah, so yeah, that was that was my week or weekend, I should say. I went to go see the movies with my brother, and I ended the weekend with the uh, wrestling with my uh, father and my brother. So yeah, so I'm trying to get to fly in here. Oh, okay. Just in case I can see my hands just darting across the camera randomly. <laughs> Oh yeah, that's another thing. Even on this side note, winter, fall, what have you, all the mosquitoes that were like out in the summer and stuff like that too are trying or trying to keep themselves alive somehow. Because I mm-hmm. have a mosquito in this room somewhere, I have no idea where it is. It mm-hmm. keeps hiding itself somewhere, and it's amazing how this mosquito has lasted as long as it did. Mm-hmm. But yeah, once <laughs> fall. Ends and uh, and winter begins. Like all these bugs that 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 should have died over the summer, mm-hmm. just come out of the woodworks and just uh, like have their like last hurrah. So yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's so, like they're sort of well, we know we're gonna die. Let's party until it happens. Like that's yeah. the mosquito mentality. Yeah. Uh, now, now if it was a mosquito that happened to be carrying a blood of, you know, some um, uh, dinosaurs, then maybe I wouldn't hurt it, but, you know, anyway. <laughs> no, I, I would just squish it, no question. Uh-uh. <laughs> nope, I'm not, like, I'm not going to take the risk that someone's going to create, enough, like, Jurassic Park. <laughs> like, wait, that always ends, like, disastrously. Every time. Well, if, if you had the power of God in your hands, and you went, and it had, well, not God, but if you had power, well, actually, but, technically speaking, actually, yes. Let's, I was go, let's stick with that God analogy. Let's stick with it. Yeah. It is essentially was, like a power of God. I was hoping with uh, Jeff Goldblum, too, is that, you know, uh, Dr. Malcolm was basically telling everybody that they had um, the analogy of, uh, that you basically had the God analogy, where it's like they had the power of God in their hands, and they were playing with God, uh, playing God. In the sense of, uh, well, it's like God. And as you said, you know, Jurassic Park ends up being, well, Jurassic Park. But, again, that's because, uh, yeah, 
uh, the people who were in business were, were only car- caring about as a business as opposed to an actual park. So, uh, but anyway, yeah, it's so. like here's actually an analogy from uh, when I was rewatching uh, Fellowship of the Ring last night when Frodo offers the Ring of Power to Aragorn kind of near the end of the movie because he doesn't want to carry that burden. He's kind of testing to see if Aragorn, like, is corrupted by the power or not. And you see Aragorn approaching the ring. You hear that voice talking to him. And he doesn't take the ring. He just closes Frodo's fist because he realizes how corrupting and dangerous that power of a god would be for him. And he has the foresight to know that this would be dangerous. I shouldn't take this power. Yeah. So that's, that's, you know, that would be my thing. If it's like, you know, I see a mosquito and it has the um, genetic genes or whatever of a dinosaur. Squish it anyway. Not going to, like, no, not going to let that power possibly, you know. Of course. And then maybe, like, maybe that uh, mosquito bite that ends up uh, biting you and somehow it has the, the, the DNA of a spider, so. <laughs> no, I, no, I mean, it's a mosquito. Yeah, so I turned to, like, Mosquito Man. <laughs> Which is an actual movie, by the way. <laughs> oh my god, really? Yeah, it's a sci-fi movie back in the day, like made made in like two, in the twenty, uh, either the 2010s or the 2000s, probably between that between the 2005 and t- 2010. But there was a, there was a sci-fi movie that came out called Mosquito Man, and it is exactly how it sounds. Oh my god. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. Da, 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 da. Mosquito man, mosquito man, does whatever a mosquito can, flies around, sucks up blood, that's just what a mosquito can do, da-da, it's the mosquito man. It's amazing if that thing, it's amazing how that part wouldn't be, uh, uh, if this gets on YouTube without any faults, because uh, Hayden just singing the Spider-Man song without singing the Spider-Man song, and if this part actually was not edited out or aired out with just, like, blank air, I'll be amazed. <laughs> but anyway, uh, yeah, Spider-Man uh, No Way Home is also coming, uh, coming out in a month or so, so it will kind of, like, a little, I'm a little excited for No Way Home, but I'm still in, like, a very, uh, What's the term? I'm kind of like in the. Uh, I have you're, low. Expectations. You're in the middle category, I guess. Or yeah, I have like I have high, like I have low expectations because I know it's gonna be good, mm. but at the same time, I just don't want to be like big expectations. But anyway, mm-hmm. so Und- back, understandable, and that's fair. So back into the week of uh, of entertainment, a few uh, a few a uh, few stories came out. One, uh, so if you are a Spotify user. Uh, if you go to your Spotify account and you go in like to, uh, I would say probably a random album and you wanted to shuffle it, you cannot shuffle your songs anymore. Uh, so apparently, uh, Adele's new album 30 came out and one of the things that she said was she doesn't want people to, to skip her songs, meaning like you want her, she wants her to like actually listen to these songs and without, you know, essentially skipping each of the songs. So I don't know if I could do that on the web app, uh, like the web version of Spotify, but it may or may not be possible. I'm not sure, but I know if you have the app, like on the phone and whatnot, like that you, you can still skip. I mean, not skip. You can still scuffle, uh, scuffle, shuffle. 
the songs. But yeah, it, and and Spotify ended up essentially uh, agreeing with Adele and and uh, took away or at least hidden the option to shuffle songs. So one, that's a big power move from from a mega superstar singer like Adele because one, see. It shows that, you know, it doesn't matter who it could be in terms of, of like, presenter-wise, entertainer-wise. If you ask a company or something like that to to essentially say, hey, you know, I have a new, uh, new album out. I don't want to have people shuffle the songs. Can it be possible to play, like, trackless or just, like, in, in the... Um, uh, in the order as it's released, i.e., you know, uh, track one, track two, track three, etc. So, from your standpoint, uh, uh, Hayden, what do you think? It, was it a good move? Because you said you're kind of like confused on why Spotify does it, but I think it's a good uh, point because not only does Spotify get more people to go, oh, you know, Spotify's uh, treating a uh, uh, start ball might be uh, testing out a new model for their like future releases and whatnot. Especially if they have people, uh, say like um like a Harry Sells who puts out his new album like in the next few months and he wants the uh the the album to be like the same thing where it's just like you play it as you know you can't really skip the album you have to listen to it you know track by track or track by track so. Yeah, I, I I understand like why it could be like a little confusing, but I do think maybe in a in a business standpoint, it is good because not only does Spotify get more people to come to, it's like oh, Spotify may be adapting to uh, to the change of the times, whereas it's like you know shuffle option when I was playing, you know when I was uh, listening to Spotify, it is kind of like weird to go was like I have this like a little quay of songs, but when I hit, you know, play, it might go into the next song that I don't want to go into the next song. So it's like a little odd to go up, go up, all that stuff, and I hit this next song. And then as you're done with that song, it immediately shuffles to the next song. So it's shuffle, like shuffle music, it's fun. But at the same time, it's only fun when it's like a party mix or something like that. Mm-hmm. And and here's the question. Like, do they take it away just for her album or is this just all aboard for everything, like on everyone else's albums, on just those playlists that you see that someone made of a bunch of random songs all compiled together from a bunch of artists? I think they might be, uh, give me a second. Because the reason why is, like, if they remove the shuffle option for everything, I think it's a little too drastic, because like you're saying, too, it's like it's great for, like, you know, parties, and you just find some random playlist of a bunch of random songs that seem cool, and you just kind of put it on shuffle. Just kind of keep it interesting. No, apparently they uh, took out the shuffle, uh, like the shuffle option, like altogether. So, yeah. Uh, now, from a business standpoint, yeah, that that, that seems odd, especially when you're a, a music platform like Spotify and mm-hmm. and you want to uh, like skip to a new song, especially if it's like a party or something like that. Uh, especially us the theater kids, you know, theater kids parties, we love the party and all that stuff, but, you know. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, uh, 
and the party mix really does, you know, doesn't really shuffle all that stuff, and you have to do everything by uh, by hand. But yeah, it, I do agree. It's like it is confusing, but at the same time, from a business standpoint, it is pretty sound because well, it's the, certainly a bold move. Yeah, it's a bold move because it's like not only does it allow people to go, oh, Spotify is actually, you know, thinking thinking of new tr- uh, strategies to. Uh, New strategies to figure out, uh, just like literally new strategies to figure out what type of, uh, just like new strategies to figure out in terms of music platforms or whatnot. Because, you know, aside from Spotify, there's like Apple Music, there mm. is Google. Uh, YouTube, I think, has something like yeah, that. YouTube, like YouTube Music, uh, um, like Google Probably yeah, Google has, has something. Um, I think even Amazon has something too. Yeah, Amazon. Yeah, Amazon Music, mm-hmm. and but Spotify is like the most of the biggest one because you know that's how many people uh, like that's like the most listened mm-hmm. platform because yeah, it's the most well known and it's the most used. Yeah, sure. yeah. If this was like you know twenty uh, like ten years ago, uh, like Spotify probably wouldn't be. It, it probably would be like iHeartRadio and like. Mm-hmm. Even, even before that, you know, like iHeartRadio was literally just like ads and you know mm-hmm. stuff like that too. Uh, you know, if Adele tells or some, you know, if someone like Adele or Harry Styles or even like a Taylor Swift tells Spotify to like, oh, I don't want no ads on my uh, on on my album, you know, that'd probably be a huge thing because you know. No, well, I mean, okay, well, I think if, it, I think if they're saying no ads, like, that's something that they definitely wouldn't be able to actually do because that ad revenue also pays Spotify yeah. and Spotify as well, so. No, but I'm just saying. Like, removing a shuffle button, it doesn't directly affect bottom line as much as, like, getting rid of the ad revenue that they, no, know, that they get generated saying, through theirs. I was just saying that hypothetically. It's like if they told them to, like, uh, remove ads on their albums, like that, they probably wouldn't be able to do that. But at the same time, it's sort of like it's it's definitely a bold move from Spotify. But at the same time, it's definitely one of those things where it's just like maybe they're doing this to get more people to listen to not only their their you know uh, app and whatnot, but it definitely feels like. Well, I think that the point is being for, like, you know, because Adele wants everyone to listen to every song on the album, that's fine. But not everyone is going to like every single song on any artist album. There's always going to be at least one or two songs that will stick out as being super great. Then others will just kind of, like, be forgotten about. Because no artist is ever going to have that 100% perfect album of music. There's always going to be some that are remembered more than others, and there are going to be some that you... Maybe you'll hear someone say once, you'll be like, what? No, that wasn't on that album. And then you just kind of go back later and like, oh, wow, that was in that album. Because yeah. not every song is going to resonate with you. Not every song is going to get your attention. So I think, you know, like if I'm listening to a song and I'm like, oh, this is, an, uh, this is a kind of boring song. Oh, but I'm kind of stuck having to listen to it now. Yeah. Like, I'd, like at that point, I'd just be like, okay, well, I mean, because I have Apple Music. So I would just be like. Okay, I'm just gonna go find the songs that I do like to listen to from this album, and then I'll just download those, so I can just listen to the ones that I that I want to listen to that or that resonate with me. Yeah, I, I imagine for the most part, listening to albums, especially 
maybe now could be like between maybe two, three minute songs, you know, give or take. But if it's like a song that's like maybe five, six minutes and you do want to skip to the next song, mm-hmm. but you really can't, it, it, it definitely feels like not only is Adele like pl- uh, playing to a power, it, it is mm-hmm. definitely a bold move from her to essentially see if, you know, Spotify blinks and it's like, oh, and apparently they blinked. So, yeah. Yep. Uh, yeah but, yeah, it's definitely a bold move from both Adele and Spotify, but it definitely does see, like, maybe they want people to hear more than just music and just, like, instead of just, like, listening to, say, uh, Michael Jackson's Bad, and then they was like, oh, let me listen to the first song, and then hits shuffle again. It just goes right in the next song instead of, like, going into the, the first, second, and third tracks, so forth and so on. You know, it's, like you said, shuffle music is, like, made for, like, parties and stuff like that, too, especially if it's, like, a, a diverse, uh, like, a diverse playlist of music, but, you know, you don't want to listen to that song, like, those songs, like, back-to-back-to-back. It's made to be, like, mm-hmm. you know, shuffled apart. Exactly. You know, believe me, I, I you know, I, I worked in, um, in a restaurant, and a lot of the restaurant music's, you know, if it was playing, you know, back to back to back, it'd probably be like annoying songs like back to back to back. But if you have it on shuffle mode, then you probably get like a diverse standpoint of like what type of music you could be listening to while you're eating and stuff like that, too. But yeah, mm-hmm. it, it definitely feels like it's a bold move from both Adele and Spotify, both from a um, marketing, uh, uh, both from marketing and business point. Especially because it's like I, to my knowledge, I don't know if Spotify has ever, like, you know, done what um, some like a music creator has done. You know, when the music creator asks for something like that, I don't think they've ever kind of, you know, said, "Okay, we'll do." You ask like this seems like a first. Oh yeah. Like you're uh, saying, you know, they blinked and then. Yeah. Where before they weren't. Yeah. If the, anyone would have asked them for. You. Uh, only times I've heard about this stuff, it will probably like maybe maybe Apple Music and having you know artists uh, like maybe silver Apple Music for the amount of money they get like revenues or something like that. Especially mm-hmm. if the, the songs were like ninety nine cents and stuff like that too. So mm-hmm. like they wouldn't be getting the amount of money. Yeah, that sort of thing too. But yeah, it, it definitely is a bold move from both Adele and Spotify. Especially from a uh, marketing and business standpoint, mm-hmm. because marketing, you get more people to come onto your platform and listen to it, and also from a business standpoint, it may be a uh, it may also get people to buy sp- uh, stock more into uh, Spotify because you know Spotify shows that they are listening to newer strategies and people might want to invest in Spotify. So in the next, like say, few years. Uh, uh, you know, if Spotify has a uh, a nice rise in the stocks and whatnot, people will be like, "Oh, I can cash out, be very rich from Spotify music." That I, you know, I mean, not Spotify music, Spotify shocks that I, uh, you know, invested in. Anyway, yeah, uh, that's what happened with Spotify over the past week. Uh, uh, now again, now going into film talk. So, our boy Ridley Scott is kind of upset, uh, and he's upset on two fronts. One, 
he's upset that us millennials did not go and support his uh, latest film, well, one of his latest films, The Last Duel, uh, in theaters. So he's kind of very, he, he's mad that us millennials are always on our phones and, you know, and, you know, like literally always on their phones and not caring about the type of, um, the type of uh, movies that are coming out, which is, to be fair, I am on my phone like 85% of the time. So, <laughs> and I am, even if I'm watching something, I'm like usually on my phone anyway. So, uh, to be fair, <laughs> oh, we didn't see his movie. But well, when you needed to fix the pacing and kept repeated scenes out when they were just simply repeated for no reason. <laughs> but he, but yeah, there's two things that came up. Uh, one was the him mad about the the, the last duel bombing, and the other thing was his, uh, what was this? His his quotes on superhero movies, and before getting to. Uh, yeah. Uh, so he says that he says that the reason why he doesn't like superhero movies now is because they're boring because the screenplays are the issue. And yeah, he says a lot of it has to do with the screen, the, the screenplays to a lot of these superhero movies, which I do agree. There is a, a problem with some of the superhero movies that are very formulaic by the numbers, mm-hmm. but I don't agree with us millennials being a problem because of the last duel bombing. So yeah, like like a superhero movie is not the reason your film bombed. Like, no, 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 like there are plenty of movies we see that don't base anything around superhero or stuff like that, and they still do really good. It's not because they're you know, like it doesn't have to do with them being superhero movies or not. It has to do with the quality of the movie. And last yeah. duel does has an interesting story and an interesting you know ideas and concepts it talks about. The problem is, it's a very long movie. Yeah. And it spends too much time when it could be getting to the point sooner and cutting out needless scenes that are simply just repeating the same exact things that we, the audience, already know. Now, here's my, uh, here's what I wrote on Twitter. Uh, I essentially said that Ridley, big. The reason why people probably didn't want to go to see uh, The Last Duel is because you casted Ben Affleck and Matt Damon in a two-and-a-half-hour movie. Now, when I think of... Although I will say, he did a good job of hiding Ben Affleck. Oh, yeah. Because, like, I didn't find find out about it until you told me about him being in it. Yeah. And... But... If I'm doing a a two-and-a-half-hour epic movie, and it's basically about a, uh, a duel... And also I, French people who apparently are speaking British accents. Like, every French person is speaking a British accent. Which, you know, that's, that's always going to be the case, especially if, like, <laughs> like... Come to France, we're secretly British, apparently. <laughs> like, uh, what is it, uh, I was watching a gameplay for the new COD, you know, the new Call of Duty game, and, you know, they're talking in Russian, you know, they're supposed to be Russian... They're supposed to be Russian characters supposed to be, be speaking Russian, but they're talking with a, those like the Russian American accents you always hear. Yeah. So it's, it's so it's odd not to hear people in full Russian be talking in Russian, and then you just be talking like those stereotypical Russian accents you hear um, you know American actors do. That's like da and you know, da, mm-hmm. you know, and all that stuff. But the yeah. same thing with the Germans too. So it's like I understand that you know supposed you know. Suspension of disbelief, but at the same time, 
why are they British? Like, mm-hmm. if it's supposed to be in France... Also, it's based... Also, wasn't it based on real events, too? Yes. So, I don't... I would assume they're probably not actually British in a French court. I don't know. It's, it's, it, getting historical accuracy is like... It's hard. Even even from a... Even but again, if, it's like you have the time and resources, just a little accent training. Yeah. It can go like a long way. Yeah, especially when... Uh, you know, Adam Driver, you know, I'm pretty sure he'd probably be able to put, like, the, the time and effort to, to do it, a French accent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, he's a phenomenal actor. Like, he, like yeah, oh, give him some time to learn a French accent, he'll crush it. Yeah, but I understand if they wanted to do, like, the English accent and all that stuff. So, yeah, but, yeah, I do agree that, okay, well, I, I agree with the, the superhero comment, but I don't agree with the us millennials being the problem. And the, I think the problem was that it wasn't the millennials that was the problem. It was essentially, who, who was it, 20th Century, uh, 20th Century Studios? Or was it, Yeah, 20th Century Studios, who who distributioned uh, The Last Duel. They didn't do any uh, that type of marketing. Like, literally. Mm-hmm. Like it was, yeah, they, they barely gave it any good marketing at all. And like the only full trailer, like I saw like a full trailer kind of when it was just like popped up on um like a YouTube as a YouTube ad in the middle of something else I was watching, and I usually just skip those anyway because it didn't grab my attention enough for me to actually watch the trailer. So I just hit skip on the ad and just kept kept going with the video I was actually watching. And then well, some of the ads I would see pop up on TV. I'm like, um, I would like they were just generic. They weren't actually that interesting. Like nothing actually grabs your attention enough to like actually get me to actually get me motivated to actually want to go see this. And again, it's also a two and a half hour movie. It's like the and, last and, 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 and as I heard someone else say when they were reviewing it, you feel every minute of it. And it's like there's some movies you don't feel that at all because you know you're you're actually enjoying the movie, but this one is like, no, you feel the t- the passing of time when you're watching that movie. I mean, but not only was this done with horrible marketing, like, or at least, you know, minute marketing, you had other movies coming out at the same time. And, like, mm-hmm. it comes out in the middle of October, and at the start of October, you had The Many Saints in Newark, you had The Addams Family 2, you had Venom 2. Halloween Kills uh, was coming out, I think, either just before or just after, yeah, I think. Yeah. Uh, just before, like, really on the same day, too. And mm-hmm. the previous and the previous week before that was No Time to Die. Mm-hmm. And then the following week, you had Doom, and then mm-hmm. yeah, they yeah that that movie was honestly doomed from like like it was doomed when they put when they decided to put it in the middle of every other movie going on at basically the same time. Now, if this was and, like, and, and it's like, it was clear all the marketing got put into all the other movies too. Yeah, especially but well, especially since 20th Century Studios, uh, like. Oddly enough, to uh, to use the word, shuffles around their movie uh, movie list a lot, especially because mm-hmm. of the pandemic. Like, just you know, just uh, in a month or so, the Kingsman. Yeah, that's what it's called, the Kingsman, or mm-hmm. yeah, the Kingsman. Yeah, it's Kingsman because it's a just yeah because it's like the prequel to the Kingsman group or 
Although I do, um, I did like, I did like that it was gonna call it was gonna be called uh, the Kingsman, like some sort of like prequel title, but I forgot what it was called. But yeah, the Kingsman, which got shuffled around a lot, especially because not only been the pandemic, but it would, it was just getting shuffled a lot. So I was just surprised it actually got mm-hmm. released. But wait, I, that, that movie actually did get released? Yeah, it's getting released <laughs> uh, in the next month or so. Oh wow! Yeah. It's like they are so terrible with their marketing, and with again with the shuffling around, I'm like, when is like I don't even know when they're releasing anything. Uh, yeah, uh, the Kingsman, the Kingsman, sorry, uh, it's getting released. What was it? Maybe two days before Christmas, or right before the Christmas uh, thing. So, oh, that that's also some that's bad timing too, though, because Spider Man's still gonna be pretty fresh. Yeah, uh, what is it? I think it's either coming out on the December 22nd or the 23rd, or around that area. Like, they do not know when to actually release movies at, like, at good times, clearly. Fox, in the past, is definitely, uh... Oh, it's... Okay. So, The Kingsman is actually being released on the same day as The Matrix Resurrections and Sing 2. And not only that, the previous week you had No Way Home and Nightmare Alley being released as well. On top of that, you have West Side Story. Uh, so, yeah, it's definitely one of those things where it's just like, they used to be a time where studios knew when to release movies. Mm-hmm. And there would be times where studios knew when to release movies as a way to, you know... Um, uh, in the dump months, uh, the, the dump months, uh, as people will call them now, which is essentially mm-hmm. late August to, I, I mean, it starts with the, uh, technically speaking, a dump month is like August, September, October-ish. Like, like, er, like very early October, but like kind yeah. of, you know, like a couple weeks before Halloween. Yeah. And then after like a couple weeks before or uh, after Halloween, November, December, and a little bit in January is basically uh, award season prime month. So people could get mm-hmm. like all these award movies, like award, like Oscar, you know, bait movies and stuff like that too. Yeah, and exactly. So, you know, I wouldn't be surprised, you know, and another thing, the reason why probably uh, it probably bombed for the most part was not only was it a lack, a lack of marketing and it was, you know, it was a lack of marketing. It was a a, a lack of the, the studio time. It just didn't look like really interesting. Like mm-hmm. I understand the, a movie about a duel. Uh, it was a, essentially uh, the last recorded duel in history over essentially a rape accusation. So and funny, are, and funny enough, that duel is kind of actually it's overshadowing the real message of the film. Yeah. Whereas, like, because even the trailers make it seem like this woman is just kind of, like, very suspicious. So you can't trust her. But it's like, no, actually, she's probably the most trustworthy person. Because especially the way that the film is formatted, we see it from uh, Matt Damon's character's perspective. And we see it through Adam Driver's character's perspective. And we see it through, and I'm blanking on the actress's name, but we see it through her character's perspective. Yeah, and, jo- uh, Jody and Hummer, is, Yeah. And, and her and her character is the most accurate of, I would say, of what essentially happens. 
because because it feels more it, it just feels more believable especially because it's like in those times too especially when it's like you're a woman and then it's like they just assume that because of their you know twisted views of like you know how you know that that stuff kind of works that because she became pregnant from that rape and then it's like oh well you clearly must have loved this dude and it's like no that's not how it works but these twisted times kind of make it seem like that and it it really did and it really does also have a lot of like um relevancy in modern day when when certain laws are passed in certain states so it's so funny enough because they pushed so hard on the fact that this is one big duel, yeah. they actually undercut themselves because now there's just, there's actually this pretty important message the movie is trying to say. Yeah. But you marketed it so terribly that no one's going to really probably even go and see it. Or they're, or they're going to go in thinking, this is only about a duel. Well, yeah. no, there's actually a lot more going on. And not only that, Ridley Scott no, is known to make very grisly, gritty, R-rated movies, and The mm-hmm. Last Duel is a very hard R movie mm-hmm. because, from what I've heard, there is a lot of gore in that movie, oh, or right. a lot of violence for the most part. And mm-hmm. and, and they also, sh- and, and not only that, but they also show the rape happening too. Because hmm. there's some movies where it's like they'll not necessarily show it, like they'll cut away from it, just and kind of right before. So we kind of have the so that we the audience kind of have the idea of what's happening without having to actually see it. Yeah. But yeah. He just. But again, because it's like it is, you know, Ridley Scott. We see it all happen. Yeah. Now, is millennials the problem? The reason why this movie bombed? No. Is Ridley Scott just saying that because he just needed a way to uh, vent his frustrations? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's clear he's just pissy about it, and it's like, yeah. you know, that happens. But like, you know, don't try to blame millennials for, and, like, for first off, terrible marketing, and like, pick off, a better studio the, next time, dude. First off, millennials have way more pro- big problems than just like going to see a movie. So, like, uh, <laughs> yeah, say, exactly. And I say that as a millennial, sadly mm-hmm. enough, you know, even though I was born. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> Now, his other comment was about superhero movies and how superhero movies are essentially boring because of the script. And he mentioned that he made three superhero movies in his time, which was Alien, Blade Runner, and Gladiator. Those are superhero movies, though. Technically speaking, they are superhero movies because you got Ridley, you got Ripley, who was like a her own like type of superhero. Because no, but 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 there's the thing: Alien is sci-fi, Blade Runner. Can also be argued as sci-fi, and um, Gladiator is is kind of like it, it's set in you know ancient times. Not necessarily saying it's historically representative accurate, but it's still it's it's still kind of like a fictional times piece kind of. Well, yeah, but so I wouldn't necessarily qualify those movies as actually superhero movies. I think I think Ridley's kind of you know going for a stretch with that one. <laughs> <laughs> well, that is true. Yeah, I mean, I can understand why. I mean, like, he, like just because they're the they are technically the hero characters, but there's nothing about them that I would essentially qualify as super per se. Like, for instance, you watch a sci-fi movie; they're technically not superheroes. They're just people who live in a sci-fi universe. So this is just day-to-day stuff. That is like true, that's that's yeah. the thing about like superhero movies is that you have. 
a perceived normality, and then we have something that is very uniquely different. Because aliens in a sci-fi movie is a norm. It's only abnormal in the context of the movie because the crew did not expect that to happen. Okay, apparently, uh, and this is the, and I'm reading from the New York Post because they kind of like, uh, as much as I don't like the New York Post, they kind of like, give it a a condensed version of what he talks about. But he basically says that the scripts are not, uh, the skip, the, the scripts aren't effing good. I'll now are down to this. As always, the best um, films are driven by the characters, and we'll come and we'll come to superheroes after this if you want. But because I'll crush it, I'll effing crush it. They're so effing boring as shit. And he went to list his own movies as examples as great scripted superhero movies, despite the movies Alien, Gladiator, Blade Runner obviously not fitting into into the genre. And apparently this is the reason why he says they are superhero movies. They are superhero movies. So why don't the superhero movies have better stories? Sorry I go off the rails, but come on. They're mostly saved by special effects, and they become boring for people who work, who for everyone who works for special effects because it, it, because they got the money. Harrison um. Ford was a superhero. Was one superhero, but everyone was confused because he got the shit beat out of him by the other uh, other superhero who we thought was the bad guy. Now, I think he's just saying superhero in the sense of they're the hero, mm-hmm. but they are the superhero, whereas, like, nothing really could phase them. Mm-hmm. So I, don't I, think he, I don't think he even understands what superhero actually means if he's calling his characters superheroes. Because they're not. They're just the heroes. They're That's just simply what they are in the simplistic of terms. They're just simply the heroes of the story. But there's nothing about them that is inherently super. Well, there's yeah. nothing to suggest that in any now, conceivable way. Even like, And again, I do agree with, yeah, character-driven stories. They're great. That's a great way to do it. But the problem is, you had it and then you lost it, Ridley. You had it with the character-driven and then you went too far and then it seemed like you... We're almost kind of going off on one of those like drunken tirades. I'm assuming he probably wasn't drinking, but the way he went, up, <laughs> the way he leaped in logic like that is what I would expect from someone drinking. Honestly, I wouldn't be su- too, wouldn't be too surprised if Ridley really, you know, had a couple of chantonets or something like that right before the interviews. I mean, mm-hmm. again, uh, a lot of the, like Ridley Scott has like another movie coming, uh, another movie that's already being released uh, about uh, about House uh, about the uh, cult, yeah, House of Gucci about the about uh, what was it? Uh, I think it was like, was it the assassination of um the what's his name guy? The um, no, it's uh, wait, am I thinking or am I thinking of oh no, wait, I think I'm thinking of um, I think I'm thinking of the Versace story, yeah, Versace. You think of uh, uh yeah, because they did because they didn't because there was like a series they did, like um, I think it was FX that did a series about um, Versace, like. Yeah, it, it was about the uh, it, it was about Don Versace's um uh what's it called uh, uh, crap I know what you're talking about because uh, it, it was uh, American Crime Story the assassination of Versace but it was about Versace and this is about Gucci so mm-hmm. yeah I can understand the, the similarities but yeah uh, I, I you know I do agree that. There are superhero movies that are very lackluster in terms of 
dated special effects or striven by special effects. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, like, for, like for instance, I watched um, the Dune trailer, and I was like, okay, this just looks like a movie where it is going to be driven more by the special effects, which do look great. But I feel like the acting is going to possibly suffer in this. Yeah, because and, yeah. and lo and behold, that actually is kind of true. The acting was subpar; it could have been better. Yeah, and you get like a, a um, you get like a a great cast like Jason Momoa, Isaac Isaac. Um, um, uh, Tim, uh, Rebecca Ferguson, Zendaya, uh, Timberly, uh, Timberly, uh, Tim- Timothy, Timothy Chal- Chalamet, Chalamet, however you pronounce his name. Yeah, he has a joke about how how people pronounce his name and how he knows how to pronounce his name. So it's like, like the, the, like the same thing with uh, Seashore Ryan, uh, she, yeah, Seashore Ronan, and how she pronounces her name. So mm-hmm. it's like one of those type of things. But yeah, you have a great cast and stuff like that too. And then, and then you have to. And then the most of the cast has to work with, you know, the idea of, oh, by the way, you're talking to a a, a, a giant right in front of you, so it's like, and then in, in actuality, it's just some guy with a green suit, like holding a stick like this to make mm-hmm. it look like you're a giant. Yeah. You know, it's it, it, there's a, a great behind the scenes video of Beauty and the Beast. Uh, from a few years ago, showing how Dan Stevens and Emma Watson acted together, and you just see Dan Stevens just like literally in this big suit of foam or whatever, walking down this thing, and you have to imagine Dan Stevens you know, acting with Emma Watson for like half of a day or something like that, dressless, dressless like this, and the same thing with uh, Paul Bettany and Wandavision, where he was in his like, signature. Like purple type of thing. He was like he was like literally in green or something like that, like a green face and stuff like that. Yeah, so, and he had like these like weird things to cover his ears. And you have to imagine he's talking to uh, Elizabeth Olsen for like half a day or whatnot, looking like that, and she has to visit him like as vision as like with this purple face and whatnot. And here he is like looking like literally like the the Wicked Witch. Mm-hmm. So. Or, or, like, or also another great example. Look at um, how they did Thanos with Josh Brolin. Yeah, like so, like you just see this kind of suit and the stick thing with the Thanos head that's above his. Yeah, it's like I I I do understand like a lot of these superhero movies aren't really driven well because they are selling point with the special effects nowadays. Mm-hmm. But there are superhero movies that do. Are going to be driven by the, the uh, by the story or the you know the character driven story, like we all know the Batman is going to be driven like that. It's going to be mm-hmm. greatly emphasized on the characters. Joker was like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, Deadpool, for the most part, has been driven by the character of Deadpool rather than just being oh you know it's like Deadpool he's going to be you know, breaking the fourth wall all the time. So it's actually mm-hmm. more driven about his uh, uh, like his than- actual character goals and motivations and desires. Yeah. And not just, he happens to do this because this plot reason or this plot reason or this plot reason. Yeah. Logan was such a great movie because it actually focused on not only on uh, Wolverine's immorality. Immortality. <laughs> Immortality. That's a difference right there. So that's why he's keeping Doc, that's why he's keeping the professor in that shed. He's immoral. <laughs> and maybe that's why the professor really went mad. He didn't go but, mad from a power thing. No, he went mad from Wolverine's immorality. <laughs> but 
But it is. Uh, but Logan is another great example of a character-driven movie that is a special effects. I mean, not, that is like least to do with special effects. I mean, there are special effects in the movie, but it's kind of like very minute. I mean, there are, you know, you, you see, you know, like Wolverine using his claws and whatnot. But when a character, and, and even the behind the scenes, they have like fake prop claws on there too. So uh, not just you know, simply they're just simply holding their fists out and then they're just simply yeah. adding in claws. Like no, they're actually at least holding something to represent it and then Yeah. So it's not but, just simply, okay, we'll pretend there's claws here when look da, 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 it's just a fist. Yeah. But it definitely uh, but the but I do agree like uh, there are recent Marvel and DC movies where it does feel like mm-hmm. it is more emphasized on the the special effects rather than the plot because you know a mm-hmm. uh, great example of this was is probably uh, well I want I don't want to use Wonder Woman as an example but yeah Wonder Woman uh, 1984 mm-hmm. uh, so, yes exactly the last third of the movie is literally just like a, a big spectacle a, a big spectacle of just uh, of what can we do to show, uh, you know, Wonder Woman not only doing that, you know, I mean, doing a great spectacle of just a spectacle and not thinking about, oh, what is the the third act going to be? Mm-hmm. So, and it does actually falter on that. Uh, and then there will be an- another DC movie like Suzanne where it's both actually a character-driven movie and also a and spectacle driven movie where it's just like they both have it both hand in hand. Mm-hmm. Like the spectacle has to serve the story. It can't just be there just for the sake of having the spectacle. Yeah. And, and I say this because I liked Wonder Woman too. And I, yeah, I liked Woman Woman too. Too. No. I was <laughs> you know, like, which one are we talking about now? Cause like, <laughs> could you say Wonder Woman too? And I'm like, wait, hold on. Are you, are you talking about the first one? Or are you talking about the sequel now? I, I liked Woman, Wonder Woman 1984. That's not okay. that's the title. That's the title of the thing. I liked 1984, but at the same time, a lot of it does feel like a spectacle of, oh, well, just show Wonder Woman, the feats of Wonder Woman as a spectacle. Uh, mm-hmm. And I think hopefully DC has figured out, oh, you know, we should actually keep it more about all these characters and stuff like that, because the Suicide Squad was amazing because... Oh, my God, yeah. Well, not only James Gunn's writing, but because they actually feel it feels like more condensed of. Okay, this actually does feel like um, this is actually something that could actually happen, and you know, stuff mm-hmm. like that too. Well, and, and also because James Gunn knows how to do character, and he is okay. perfect for ensemble characters because he knows how to give every character their moment, their time to do something, even when it's just like um, that opening sequence when spoilers, the first team basically all gets slaughtered. Yeah. They still kind of yeah. have their moments. They still kind of, you know. And then, of course, some fun expectation subversion. Like, oh, there was a great one where it's like Michael Rooker's character. He looks all badass and he's going to do something badass. <laughs> he just turns yeah, he just away screaming. <laughs> I just, I, but, yeah. But, but, it's, but yeah, it's like, and, and also with the writing. But also, it's like, that's the thing, too. It's like, how do you, like, how does it get to that point where it's just simply we're just putting spectacle and special effects well, maybe just take another look at the writing. Because that movie definitely did have some structural problems with the writing that I feel like if they did take more time to do that, then that's how you then address situations where you're not just creating spectacle just because you need something for that third act. Yeah. Uh, another great example of this is probably from the Marvel side. Uh, 
Venom Let There Be Carnage, and I heard Venom Let Be Carnage was more like a black comedy than it was an actual superhero movie, where they didn't feel like, oh, you know. And, and that was another thing, where it's like, it feels, and the weird also, thing Also, Venom is, seems to kill more people than Carnage did. Yeah. Like, <laughs> who's the real threat here? <laughs> so, it definitely feels like, uh, Ridley does have a point about the, about Superhero movies being like more spectacle driven, especially because they more focus on the spectacle than the storytelling aspect. Mm-hmm. And I do agree. Like some of the story, some of the some protagonists in both Marvel and DC, they do feel like they are kind of like very one noted. You know, mm-hmm. you know, unless they have, you know, even even someone like Natasha Romanoff, who I love and dear as, as a character. I feel like they probably would have done a lot more better if they didn't do like the whole origins thing and they just did as a standalone spy movie where it's just like it's not about her origins of all that stuff. Because if they did the whole origins thing, it's just it's like opening a can of worms. Like like when you and then it's like, oh, you know, you watch this movie after, you know, what have you and then suddenly it's like all this stuff he was like now what happened to it's like and then it's like well, then what happened to this character it's this character it's like this character should be able to help her now it's like if you just mm-hmm. made a standalone like if you made Black Widow in a standalone spy movie like akin to James Bond then maybe it would have made more of a funner ride in exploring her origins and you know you could still explore her origins but or, or honestly make it more kind of like Jason Bourne but then you get rid of all the shaky camera fights because, yeah. like, for instance, one of my favorite moments in um, the the Bourne trilogy, because the, yeah. the last one, the last one doesn't exist in my opinion, where it like he's at wa- that um train station in London, Waterloo station, yeah. and he's basically outmaneuvering the CIA to the point where they have no idea what the hell's going on. Yeah, he's doing it so effortlessly, and he's like essentially coaching this guy how to do it. I'm like, that is that is cool. And yeah. it's like, that is the kind of cool spy stuff we could have seen Natasha doing. Like, yeah. she could have been trying to get information on Taskmaster, Taskmaster, and she's having to find a contact, and then she realizes, okay, there are widows here, so I'm going to have to use my spy training to outmaneuver them, and then get the person and information I need to a safe place, so I can get that information from them. Yeah. Like, just, but- like, like, actually just treating the character of Black Widow, like the badass spy that she is, and not yeah. just simply she is one of the big six of the Marvel heroes. Yeah. Because and she I, is still human, and we need to, like, see that better. Yeah. And, 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 and also just kind of having it be like, um, like Taskmaster is the, um, like, uh, was the person who got badly injured when Natasha was trying to kill, um, some important diplomat or whatever. Yeah. Maybe instead just have the diplomat be killed and then have Taskmaster take over and have and have him seem like, you know, someone else is just there as a figurehead. And then yeah. Taskmaster can just take over and be like, no, this is about me getting revenge because, like, you killed my dad. Yeah. But that'll make the motivations more interesting. Yeah. Now, Especially because then you can also bring back the family dynamic a little better. Yeah. Because, uh, you know, um, she took um, her family away... And then also we could probably have this like um amazing sacrifice scene where David Harbour's um 
whatever his superhero's character name was. Red Guardian. Red Guardian sacrificed himself while fighting Taskmaster. Yeah. To give his daughters a chance to, or surrogate daughters ever a chance to escape. Yeah. And then that could lead into the final confrontation. Yeah. But again, a lot of the, the writing is just like, especially from what I've seen, because my, you know, uh, family was watching the, the movie like maybe a couple of weeks ago. And mm-hmm. I was watching the movie for a couple of minutes and it was like, it didn't really feel like it, it felt like a very, like a Marvel-ish version of a spy movie without trying to mm-hmm. be like a spy movie. It was like more along the lines of, uh, them trying to uh, tack on an origins movie inside of a spy movie. Now, mm-hmm. and, and, and also, and also, this is just a little nitpick, kind of. But it's just like the fact that the method of controlling the widows is through something called pheromones. That just sounds so weird. Like, of all the things you could come up with, like again, further play into that spy training of like this. That is this intense brainwashing program. And not just simple pheromone mind control. Yes. Now, at least that way we can actually understand the that because then it makes it makes the villain even more like the villain and not just now, simply okay pheromones. No, no, like it's like just essentially torturing them to turn them into weapons. Now, one of my favorite uh, spy mini years was the show Twenty Four, and in the mm-hmm. last second of last season where he's in New York. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jack Bauer's character is going through a mental crisis, and he decides to go get the revenge. Now, mm-hmm. he has to get information. I forgot. I forgot. I forgot. Yeah, it was like information on, like, I believe, like the Russian diplomat or the Russian mm-hmm. prime minister or something like that. And yeah. so he needs to go get after him, right? Mm-hmm. So he decides to go after uh, President Logan. Well, actually, oh, I love that scene. And and. To you and Jack Bauer essentially uses his not only military training but also his spy training to go after uh, President Logan. Now, what he does basically is he basically dresses up with heavy body armor, a tactical uh, hockey mask, and whatnot, and basically uh, shoots up not well not well not only shoots up a uh, a small tunnel featuring the you know the. <laughs> the person. Like he shoots out the tires on incoming yeah. vehicles so he essentially block off the tunnel so no one can drive in or out. Yeah, and and not only that, he smokes out the, the some of the uh, some of the uh, I might be misremembering it, but he might just smoke out like the the thing. But yeah, yeah, he, then, he he basically incapacitates, like goes for non lethal incapacitating shots and some of those Secret Service people, and then he like takes out this shotgun to just break the bulletproof window yeah. just enough to put in like a tear gas canister. Yeah. Now imagine Natasha Romanoff doing that to gain some sort of uh, like. Like she needs to go after the taskmaster, right? So, mm-hmm. and, she and and looks, and even instead of body armor, using her like um, her skill set of like you know stealthery and stuff like that, where it's like she'll like gets her um, adversary locked in a tunnel, blocks off any route of escape, turns out the lights, and maybe it'll kind of be like one of those things where the lights will kind of flash for a couple seconds, then off. Yeah. You just kind of see her stealthily making her way around, knocking out people. We hear and we hear people getting knocked out in the darkness. And then, yeah. boom, kidnaps the person she needs to kidnap. Yeah, just to... Like, that would be much more interesting and and more in line with the character. Yeah, but a lot of the... I think the problem was, especially... I love how this whole conversation evolved from... Ridley Scott is right up, not right about uh, millennials, but he's right about uh, superhero stuff. And just right, it goes into a whole thing about, about the writing of Black Widow. Uh, Thanks, Ridley. Thanks, Ridley, for uh, for for being right about this. 
Anyway. Half uh, right. Half right about that. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, uh, I, I, I literally forgot my, the train of thought, but yeah, it, it definitely, oh yeah, to keep, to bring it back to the Ripley Scott thing, uh, there are movies, especially from both Marvel and DC fronts, that do focus on the spectacle and don't really focus on a more character-driven script rise. But there are Marvel and DC movies that always flip that around and actually focus on a very good character-driven script while doing a uh, while focusing on the, on the um, spectacle. Again, like Captain Marvel a couple of years ago, I will say that Captain Marvel could have you know. Were a good use a good once over in terms of the story, all that stuff, especially connecting to other uh, movies in the past and stuff like that too. Yeah, it was, like like everyone was interesting except for the main character herself because I mean, they were trying to do two different stories with her instead of having one consecutive story. Yeah, and uh, but I, again, that's another problem is that how do you make a character like also because Captain Marvel's character has never been that interesting too. Like, every comic run of a character is inherently the same kind of character that isn't actually that interesting. Yeah. And, all right, yeah, it, it definitely feels like Ridley Scott's onto something, but he's half right. Yeah. Sorry, and to quickly kind of actually, because it's reminded me of something, so, like, a great example of one person you, knowing how to use spectacle and another just kind of doing it for the sake of doing it, oddly enough, Look at the just the Justice League movie where you have the one version by Joss Whedon where the characters feel butchered versions of themselves and it does feel more spectacle driven. Whereas I would argue with Zack Snyder's version, we actually get well because it's also like four hours long, but we actually do get to know more of the characters. It actually does feel like it's more driven by the characters actions and not just spectacle for the sake of spectacle. There's some cool spectacle, but it feels like there there's something where each character, as a character, actually can ex- like contri- contribute. Like you can't take any one of them out. Like, oh, like if you take that. any one of them out, then that yeah you got a different movie. Whereas I feel like with Joss Whedon's, you could essentially take one character out, and fundamentally nothing much would actually change. Yeah, and they did take out one character from that movie out, and really. Honestly, you could still have taken the same character out from the Snyder Cut, and nothing really would have made any more sense. And I do love that character that they put it in the Snyder Cut, but at the same time, that character really didn't much, didn't add up to a lot of anything. And oh, are we talking about Martian Manhunter? Yeah. I mean, I mean, yeah. The, I think the whole point of his character was just to tease, like you know, future stuff. But I mean, for the main six that we yeah. saw, because that's the one thing. It's like. Like, literally just watching it with, um, like, watching Joss Whedon's version, it seems like all they have to do, pull the boxes apart. Okay, get Superman to do it. You don't need Cyborg to do it. Yeah. Because, like, yeah, so, yeah, it's, like, it's that point. It's, like, there's some who definitely know how to only do spectacle, really, and don't clearly understand the characters enough. And then there's some who do actually know how to understand the characters, at least enough to make an interesting movie yeah. and know how to mix in with spectacle. And... I think to end this episode on a good note, or a funny note, or or a how the hell, or a how the hell are they still around note. So you sent me a couple of days ago uh, South Park uh, showing a quick 
promotional video of their next special, which will be on Paramount Plus, because now they're doing a Paramount Plus uh, only specials. So like it's their own like type of like Paramount like Plus originals. But it's basically the uh, South Park kids now grown up, now like a few years older, like say in like maybe twenty years older, I think, or mm-hmm. something like that, because. Yeah, like maybe 20 or 30 years old, I forgot. It doesn't... Mm-hmm. It, they, they look like they're in their 20s or 30s, for sure. I would say, yeah. how their model was. One, for a what-if or... Yeah, for a what-if episode, it actually does look interesting, especially since it does feel like it's... It, and it's called... I think it's like... Post, I think it's they call it post-COVID or COVID kids or something like that. Yeah. Or, or COVID South Park or something like that. But... And I, I love the idea of them doing like a what if type of episode where it's just like, oh, you know, here are the kids like 20 years from now. You know, are they still the same kids like as they were 20 years before? And it's like. And as someone who really does like watch South Park on and off or off and on, as I say, mm-hmm. yeah, off and on. Yeah. Uh, and I like I really like like literally the last season that I watched fully was the Remember Berries season. And then, and then I was like, you know what? I'm I'm done with South Park for a while. I'm just done. Yeah, that that was a, that was a rough patch. Yeah, it got be- it got better. Like they were able, they returned to form while still being able to kind of do episodic style episodes. Yeah, and then I was like, uh, I think it was also the same season that uh, uh, not Randy uh, Kyle's father was also the. Oh my god! Actor. Yeah, yeah. When he was that, that like actor. internet troll, and he's the just like troll. yeah. And, he, and his excuse the whole time is, I just did it for the lols. Yeah. Yeah, like that, that, they hit a rough patch with that one, but I will say, because I watched some of the later ones, they pulled themselves out of that rough patch. Yeah. They're still able, they, they still have maintained being able to do the episodic kind of stuff like they wanted to, yeah. but they knew how to streamline it better. Oh, so, yeah, but I think it's just because they tried doing the whole season, like, long arc of all that stuff, and then sounds like... <laughs> Season-long arcs or, or television type of shows, whereas like, uh, like, I, like, like dramas and stuff like that too. Not cartoons or comedy shows. And, mm. and, and I'm not saying that comedy shows cannot have a season-long arc. There are a lot of comedy shows that do have an arc, but it's kind of like in the background or or it gets mm-hmm. like kind of like you know comes and goes. Like 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 one a great example. The fact that Kenny dies pretty much almost every episode, and he comes back to life in the next episode, and they actually address that in that like superhero trilogy episode thing, where when he's dressed as Mysterion, he literally conf- like tells everyone, "I cannot die. Even when I do, I just come back to life the next day, and everyone forgets what happened." Yeah, and it's great. Yeah, you know, and then they actually do show what happens, and it's like one of those things. And I don't want to say it because you know if I'm putting this on YouTube. I might get a, a, a demonetized or or a suppressed, so I'm not telling how what happened. Oh, I could curse and whatnot, but telling how Kenny how Kenny uh, Kenny comes back. Oh hell no, I'm not talking about that. Anyway, um, oh, oh no, I can tell you right now, it's because no. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I think we're good. I'm just uh. We're not going to talk about a certain show that goes south of a certain park. Mm-hmm. Anyway, uh, yeah, I, I, I even if this, for this is a one if episode, it does actually look fun because it does look like they had the same uh, Man Trey had the same um, 
feel of what they're doing with, like, uh, realistically, how would the kids of South Park be 20 years from now, especially after, you know, uh, uh, a tragic, uh, uh, well, not only a tragic event, but also a, a, a separation, event. actually, too. A, a separation event, like COVID. So, yeah. Well, not just COVID also, because, like, in the uh, COVID special that they did a while back for the vaccines, or the vaccine um, special thing, basically, all of them essentially kind of separate, like, parents, and Kenny is, is like, representative of their child, in a sense. Where it's like they all will only hang out on certain days with Kenny. Oh, yeah. When they all can't be around with each other. So it's going to be interesting to see if they kind of pick up that storyline from that point of view. Well, yeah. Like, if they're going to keep that sort of continuity or just a totally random, altogether thing. I literally forgot about the separation thing with Kenny and how, they, the, the, how they're treating Kenny, Kenny like the baby of the bunch. And, <laughs> and, and he is so unaware of it the whole time, too. Like, he has no idea what's going on. Like, I, I felt so bad for Kenny watching that. And, yeah, it, it definitely feels like... South Park, it does have its up as up, it does have its way downs and its big ups, but yeah, it does feel like for the past couple of years, it does feel like it's been on its, up, on its way up, especially because of um, uh, Trump being in office and how Mr. Garrison somehow became president somehow. I don't even know what that one is. But I mean, again, it's like how Trump become president. Well, he, yeah. Like all, all Mr. Garrison did was just be their Trump in place of Trump. Yeah, because he already kind of does his the way his character is already kind of represents who Trump is anyway, so it already makes sense to kind of have him as that role. Yeah, uh, again, that's it's, a, it's so in character of him to like <laughs> to be like, okay, I'm gay. Uh, oh, actually, no, I'm gonna become a woman. No, I'm gonna change back. No, you know what? I'm just gonna go right for president. Yeah, again, he does whatever the hell he wants. Mr. Garrison is like a weird character trying to trying to uh, pin down and whatnot. So, mm-hmm. and that's another thing. Uh, apparently, uh, in the trailer, it looks like Cal has picked up Mr. Garrison's job. So, I would love to see a scene where it's like Mr. Garrison and Cal have that uh, conversation of him in the same office, where it's like now Cal is the, the Mr. Garrison uh, mm-hmm. uh, person in charge, and Mr. Garrison's like this guy who's just, you know, coming to visit the school or whatnot, or mm-hmm. he's now the principal. Oh, my God. Like, that would be what happens. Like, it would definitely be he becomes the principal. Like, I wouldn't be surprised one bit. Yeah. All right. So, I know we're kind of, like, running along with this episode, but, yeah, it was a pretty slow week, but it was kind of, like, interesting to say the least, but with the uh, with the events of the story and whatnot. And also, it's, it's, it's Thanksgiving, too, and so this is our Thanksgiving treat to y'all. Yeah, we're giving thanks to you with an extra long episode to listen and watch and and have this on the background of while you're all eating dinner and whatnot, so. mm-hmm. eating your turkeys and watching your Hawkeyes and or uh, cowboy bebops and whatnot. And you know what? As one last Thanksgiving treat, I'm gonna give them the inside scoop on how Ken- 